I think I think the biggest concern is that with technology growing, I worry with such progress that we're making that we're starting to lose our human mm-hmm. touch or yes. our human centricity. Yeah. Um, and it's nice to see companies like your company who actually are one of your, the, the core mission is user centricity. User centric. And yeah. one of our values is care. Yeah. You know, caring for people, caring for users. And yeah, I absolutely agree. We just can't let technology alienate us. This is Spot On. The new Spotify podcast, Spot On, focuses on the intersection of great leadership and diverse backgrounds that leads to unique and often surprising ways in which we interact with the world. For those listeners who are learning about you for the first time, I'll just share a few facts and and accolades. Forbes top 100 most powerful women, Fast Company's 100 most creative people in business, the International Alliance for Women's World of Difference Award, Working Women's Women Elevating Science and Technology Award, and Women in Information Technology International Hall of Fame 2007. But in your own words, who is Padma Warrior <laughs> and what is your story? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's a great question. So who is Padma Shri Warrior? Um, I think of myself first and foremost as a woman, Mm. then an engineer, a mom, a wife, and now a CEO. Um, You know, possibly in that order, I Mm -hmm. think. Um, My story, I I was born in India. I grew up in India. I um, went to school at a place called the Indian Institute of Technology in New Delhi. It's a very, very competitive engineering school. Um, They you know, 0.1% admission rate or some such thing. Um, And when I went to do my undergrad in engineering there, there were only five women in a class of 250. Uh, So I think my my stint at IIT, as they're called, uh, I think taught me two things, first of all. And because there was such few women, um, it really, really taught me the importance of forming a community when you're a minority um, and, and supporting each other and helping each other, uh, which we did. And I think that's what kept me in school. Um, and the second thing it taught me is uh, humility and the fact that no matter how smart you think you are, mm-hmm. there are people that are smarter than you and you should always be learning. And I think this is a lesson in technology changes so fast. Um, As a technologist, um, one of the key strengths one needs to possess is the ability to learn and be willing to learn constantly. And so I think those two things I learned through my undergrad degree. And then I came to the United States as an immigrant um, Mm -hmm. on a student visa Mm -hmm. um, to study and do my master's at Cornell University here in upstate New York. Uh, Graduated with, um, didn't stay, I started actually in a PhD program, but didn't stay to finish it. I got a, a job at Motorola. So I left thinking I'll work for a year and then come back, um, but I never went back to school. Uh, started my career in the semiconductor industry as an engineer and uh, became the chief technology officer for Motorola. Um, you know, really, really my, I would say my stomping ground and domain expertise is all mobile. Mm. I grew up in the mobile mm. industry as an engineer and uh, then eventually became, uh, left Motorola and became the chief technology and strategy officer at Cisco. I stayed there for eight years in that role, mm-hmm. ran worldwide engineering for Cisco, ran all of our enterprise business, uh, ran all the mergers and acquisitions and investments, left two years ago to become the CEO for Neo. Uh, we are a startup now. We're about a three-year-old company. 
Uh, we are working on autonomous electric vehicles. We have operations in China and in Silicon Valley, uh, in Germany and UK. Amazing. I just, I, I look back at your career as, as I did my research and I can only imagine some of the challenges that you had to face or maybe barriers to feeling included or, or being a part of the, the majority. Um, and, you know, I, I can't imagine that you would have had everyone championing you across, along the way. You would have had to be your own champion. So how did, how did, what was sort of the thought processes around being your own champion when you feel like an outsider most of the time? And I know you built community or well, your first sense of community at school. Mm-hmm. How, how did that sort of translate when you're in this big wide world of Motorola and then Cisco and now as the CEO of a, an amazing company? Um, how does that translate in your yeah, mind? Yeah, I, I think, you know, unfortunately, I think that part of it hasn't changed in the last two or three decades. I think women still face this. I think mm. we are always expected to do more, prove ourselves more. Mm. I think we are questioned more uh, with our ability to deliver. So it requires a lot of self-confidence and mm. I think an ability to overcome self-doubt. Uh, there are days when you start to doubt yourself because everyone mm. else around you is questioning you. Mm. Um, I think what kept me going is really, um, I would say, determination um, and and honestly to be uh, to be really who I am and to genuinely figure out what is it that drives you and make sure you're enjoying what you're doing. Mm. So in other words, you do what you do to not necessarily prove yourself to others, but mm-hmm. prove yourself to yourself, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that's what kept me going. Mm-hmm. In my career, I think certain things maybe have changed a little bit. Uh, when I started working in, you know, obviously I came from India. I was also mm. a woman of color, mm. color, different ethnicity. There wasn't that much diversity, ethnic diversity yeah. in the tech field at that time. Now there is much more. I think we mm. accept more, at least ethnic diversity, almost as a given in the tech industry. Back then it wasn't the case. So I had to overcome that barrier as well. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, being a woman of color, being having a different ethnic background, yeah. I think all these things were sort of barriers. But what I tell women now is the fact that you are different, get, you get noticed. Mm. Um, so I use that more as a strength than as a weakness. Mm-hmm. People remembered my last name because it was, you know, it was it was different. You yeah. know, people would say, oh, that woman who was called Warrior, what was she doing there? Um, you know, I was, uh, people would tell me to fit in. I had to dress a certain way mm-hmm. when I started working. And I grew up in a country where we loved color, we loved jewelry, um, and I had to like hide all that away. Yeah. And now I don't. Yeah. You know, I think uh, this is something you learn. As I learned as mm-hmm. as I went along. You know, for me, the more comfortable I was in my own skin, the better leader I could be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really important. Yeah, for sure. And you talk about um, the warrior style mm-hmm. hashtag warrior style, <laughs> and I know that that is now a part of your identity. Something that you just mentioned, you had to sort of hide away for a little while. When did that actually become like? the thing that you wanted to hold on to and drive and and create for yourself? I would say pretty early in my career, maybe I started, you know, I started working as a line engineer in Mm. a semiconductor fab um, and it had its own implications Mm -hmm. because of that. I was actually running running manufacturing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say maybe after three, four years, I realized that I was trying to be a different person at work and that was not natural for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I felt more at ease when I was really who 
you know, the whole part of me was there, right? Without hiding away certain parts of you. Mm. Um, and so I think I started to dress differently and act differently. And, and more importantly, I think speak up more mm-hmm. um, and speak up with confidence. And, you know, I think I am by nature a friendly, outgoing person. And so I let, let my personality shine through in my leadership. Um, and I think that uniquely started to define who I am as mm-hmm. a leader. And people actually like that. You know, mm-hmm. I think in genuinely when you lead people, especially not just projects, mm-hmm. but when you're leading people, it's important to connect with another person. Mm-hmm. And that person is also a human being and yeah. they connect more with you if they know who you, you really are, right? Yeah. And so it's contrary to how people think. We were taught to be, mm-hmm. leaders have to be decisive and they have to be remote and not be accessible. It's actually the opposite of all that. You know, the mm-hmm. more approachable you are, people feel more comfortable bringing to you issues. They're more truthful about the status of the project. They're not trying to hide anything. Mm -hmm. They're not trying to not give you bad news. You know, I think one of the things as a manager or a leader you always have to do is there's a lot of filtration that happens of information before it gets to you. Um, So you have, you know, I think you avoid all that if you're Mm -hmm. more approachable and open. Uh, So I think I learned that maybe I would say after three, four years of working and so slowly, obviously, as I grew in my career, I, you know, gained more confidence. So to that point, what are the standards that you hold for yourself as a leader, Um, whether they be success factors or whether they be just the principles or values that you, um, you don't compromise on? You know, I am first and foremost um, a people leader. Um, So what I don't really compromise on, um, I think are are be, you know being um being genuine with mm. people. Um, you know, that means being transparent, but being transparent without being brutal. You know, sometimes people, you know, I, I always feel it's a balance, um, you know, being agile, but being disciplined. Mm. Uh, sometimes we over-rotate on one or the other. Mm. We think, okay, we're a startup, we're a young company, we don't need structure, we don't need process. But that's not true. You know, then there's chaos, right? But you don't want so much process and so much structure that you're paralyzed. Mm. Um, so for me, you know, there are having agility, with discipline, uh, having being hands-on, mm-hmm. but but also being empowering. Mm-hmm. You know, being hands-on doesn't mean micromanaging, mm-hmm. uh, empowering people to do what they're doing, but getting involved when they need help. Um, you know, uh, the other thing I really, really believe in is holding people accountable. You know, mm-hmm. give them all the power and the freedom to do what they need to do, but hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, having a big picture, but also focusing on the details. So it's truly really bringing the two ends of polarity together. Mm. Uh, That's something that I really strive to do myself. I work hard, play hard too. You know, I think in my company, we do that a lot. Now we Mm. work a lot, we work long hours, but I tell people take a break for, you know, uh, one Wednesday in a month, for example, we take an hour, two hours off from working and we do something called team time, Mm. um, where each of my leadership members, my e-staff, as I call it, my leadership team hosts it. Uh, We do something fun, you know, a game or, or something fun in our own cafeteria where the whole company, which we're a small company, yeah. so we can do that. We are now about 500 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get together, we break into teams, we do that. And we do that on a Wednesday, one Wednesday every month from four to six o'clock. And after that, people go back to work. And, you know, the reason is firstly, it breaks up the 
uh, I think the drudgery of just working. And secondly, it allows people to connect with each, mm. each other at a more human level. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does, it breaks up the silos, engineering versus design versus product. And everybody kind of, the rule is you don't, you can't hang out with your own team. You have to mix, mix and mingle and network and get to know other people. So these are some small things that I do. So it's really important to me. These are things that I don't compromise on. Right. Thank you for sharing that. So to that point around connecting with each other on a human level and amidst the sort of increased presence of machines in our world and, and you're working for a company that is creating these types <laughs> of machines, I guess the, the ability to understand and share others' feelings remains uniquely human. So how have you seen empathy be a strength in your leadership skill set or toolkit mm-hmm. and how then do you promote empathy within the people that you lead? Mm -hmm. I actually use a word called care rather than empathy. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, empathy means I hear you and I understand you. Caring means like I get you, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm I'm, I'm here to support you. This is a subtle difference. Mm -hmm. So one of the values for our company is care. Mm -hmm. Um, And care doesn't mean, by the way, that you're always agreeing with the other person, right? You know, sometimes, you know, it's very very much human nature to have differences of opinion, disagreements, you know, Mm -hmm. arguments. I think this is what makes us human as well. Um, and so we can't hide under the fact that, hey, you, you didn't care about me either, or you're not empathetic when you're telling me that I'm not doing my ro- my job or I'm not holding my own. Mm. But it is like you say, you know, I think you have to balance data with intuition, mm. experience, taking the time to talk to people, to listen to people. Um, it's not just all on email, person mm-hmm. to person making that contact, mm-hmm. you know, eye contact, looking at somebody in their eye and talking to them is very much different from sending an email. Um, and especially because we are such a distribu- geographically distributed company, we call ourselves a global startup. One of the biggest, biggest things is communication. When you say something, even as, as a person, yeah. It could get misinterpreted. So you have to be really careful that the person Mm -hmm. actually got the intent of what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this is where technology actually doesn't still replace, you know, the the humanness in all of us. Mm -hmm. And we have to be careful that we are balancing both. Yes, we are. We are working on cars that can drive themselves someday. Uh, what does that mean to drivers and what does that mean to people who earn their living driving? These are all questions we grapple with. Um, you know, the safety of passengers, safety mm-hmm. of pedestrians. How do we make sure the system is resilient and, and reliable? There's still a lot of work we have to do with sensors and fusions and multimodality of these sensors and how fast compute has to evolve. Uh, So this is all the technology challenges. But the ultimate um, goal, you know, we all know humans are actually terrible drivers. Most of the accidents are caused by human error. More than 95% of the accidents today are because of human error. Uh, So we know eventually computers will be better at driving Mm. than we are. Mm. But there's there's work we have to do. And there is a transition we have to allow human beings to get comfortable with the robot that's going to drive them. Um, So, yeah, these are front and center for me. Uh, Our company, we really focus on user experience first and foremost um that's a that's a basic tenant we have mm. and i'm actually going to build on that um user centricity that you you speak about and that neo is is really driven towards um and it's becoming very much a focal point for tech and tech companies um how does the changing expectation of users especially those who haven't 
had the comfort or the the experience of working with autonomous cars mm-hmm. or you know um having the experience of of trying something new how does the shifting landscape of what users want affect what you do when you do it and how you do it yeah i think you have to always with technology ask yourself what problem am i trying to solve and is this really helping humanity in mm. some way right and otherwise you're just doing technology for technology's mm. sake and i always believe technology is an enabler for the product it, mm. it's not a product by itself um so the problem we are trying to solve is reduce uh, accidents right now reduce deaths due to accident in the united states a vehicle accident is the leading cause of death for people between ages 5 to 24 um and so a lot of young lives are lost yeah. and most of the accidents as i said before are human error so i think preventable. that's preventable yeah exactly very preventable texting while you're driving is is the biggest cause driver distraction and fatigue are the biggest cause mm. for that human error mm-hmm. uh, and so we created this problem actually with yeah. technology right now i worked on the smartphone and mobile phone as <laughs> industry i grew up in so now i have to figure out okay how do we solve that problem problem mm-hmm. uh, and that's where that's the reason we're working on autonomous vehicles not because it's a cool computer science problem mm-hmm. to solve um but at the same time you know the and the second thing that we are trying to eliminate is the fact that today when you're in a car you're probably stuck in a traffic jam somewhere especially in cities like in new york uh, so people waste a lot of time mm. where you are stuck in traffic and a lot of productivity is lost that way mm. so we say with autonomy we give people their time back time is becoming the new premium for all of us right mm. um, and so <laughs> how do we you know how do you know you were telling me you're a new mom how do mm. we give your time back so you can be everything you want to be you yeah. can have a career you can be a mom you can raise your children you can be whatever you're into for me it's art you know i can mm-hmm. be an artist in my free time mm-hmm. um without wasting my time inside a car right mm-hmm. which means the interior of the car uh, when it's driving itself has to feel more like your living room your house mm-hmm. that's giving you freedom to do other things where you're not worrying about being stuck in the traffic um and obviously with electric vehicles we are trying to address the pollution problem um so i think to me these are the three things fundamentally why we are working on autonomous evs mm-hmm. and so i think you can never forget as you're developing technology and you're working with ai and sensors and you know all this complicated things you're bringing together why you're doing that you know mm-hmm. why is this important so i always ask my team why 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 constantly mm-hmm. and you know i think if it doesn't solve a fundamental problem for human beings then i believe it's not worth working on yeah f- for sure and when you want to understand who your users are um you've just made us uh provided an example of car companies today don't really know who mm. their users are or who their customers are how do you build a picture of who your customers are mm-hmm. and how much is it data informed and or is it sort of building an instinct around you know i act we have a we have a core hypothesis around who our users are versus what the data is telling us and how do you then reconcile what your sort of instincts are telling you and your hypothesis is sort of trying to lead you to versus 
the data that's informing you as well? Yeah, it, it is both because when, you, when you're building something that doesn't exist, um, you can't really collect data. So mm-hmm. I think you only collect data through research, right? Mm-hmm. And so we've done a lot of user research. So you go sit in somebody's home and ask them about their commute. Um, and then we look at data such as, you know, 4 million Americans commute more than 90 minutes each way to work every single day. Mm-hmm. You know, that's almost three hours of their time that's lost. And it gets worse in dense cities, yeah. right? I think these these kind of things you get through data and data mm. analysis. And mm. so, but the 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 issue about what exactly do people think about or do if you get three hours of your time back? What would you do with that time in your car? Those are things we research and we've yeah. talked to people. And what people tell us is it depends on the time of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's in the morning and if I'm driving to work, I'm doing conference calls or I like to catch up on news. And if in the, if it's in the evening, I've had a long day at work and I'm driving back home, I listen to be something soothing and calming. And people value that quiet moment in the car or an hour of your drive back. I just want to be quiet and be calm because yeah. I've had a rough day and now I just need to calm myself before I get home. So how can we create that calming environment for you? So as you build this global startup, which is growing and it's truly global, Mm -hmm. building work culture is obviously a core tenet of how you scale that business. And it's very important when recruiting talent, having people with the right mindset, Mm -hmm. the right values, Mm -hmm. the right behaviours that Mm -hmm. we want to see. So in your position as CEO of NEO, how do you either design or let it organically um, evolve as the company grows? Um, And in addition to that, how do you create an environment where you can allow sort of individuality to flourish, identity to take shape, to allow people to really contribute in the valuable ways that they were hired to do? I am a big believer um, that you have to bring in people with the right mindset is the right way to describe Mm -hmm. it. And it's very difficult to gauge that when Mm -hmm. you're interviewing people. Um, And so when I was hiring my team, I recruited the first 100 to, I would say, almost 150 people in the company. I personally met all of them, interviewed every single person. And we had a panel of people that would talk to them. The idea with the panel is obviously you are, we were recruiting technical people, engineers mostly. And so we would try to get gauged their depth in the domain that mm. we were recruiting for. So we worked really hard to pick, handpick the first mm-hmm. 150 people. I think that's super important because they, they then hire the next thousand people. And so because each of them, let's say, hires 10 people. Mm. So if you make one mistake and then that kind of translates mm. all through the company. Mm. Culturally, I would say uh, global teams are a challenge. Although there is a lot of commonality, um, the challenge we have is it's not just teams in China and U.S. working together or teams in Germany working with us. We have teams from pretty much every single domain in the industry. It's literally every single discipline at a university um, that's represented in the company. And that in itself is a challenge. Yeah. And then you combine geographical challenges. Um, it's still something I'm figuring out. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I would say is you have to be totally conscious of it and constantly let repetition is important. 
Um, you know, I constantly repeat to people how important the culture is, what it means, what do the values really mean? Mm -hmm. uh, they can't just be walls written on a wall. You know, we have four values in the company, uh, vision, action, honesty, and care. Um, and, you know, what does vision mean in the company? What does action mean? What does honesty mean? What does care mean? Uh, constant repetition of it and making people the guardians of the culture. Ultimately, they have to own it, mm. right? And they have to make sure as we are growing, um, it doesn't deviate or go off in a wrong direction. I err on being more transparent with my team than mm. less transparent. I share probably a lot more confidential information than I would say an average CEO would share. Mm -hmm. But I always remind people, look, your shareholders in the company, this is your company, how you frame or treat this information is up to you. Mm -hmm. So you have to trust people. The more you trust them and make them uh, known, make it known that you are trusting them, they will actually deliver it to you. Yeah, for sure. And on the note of uh, transparency, uh, which is, again, another big topic for leaders. And mm -hmm. I know Daniel is, is very fond mm -hmm. of being radically transparent. So gone are the days really when leaders could avoid being questioned or having to be uh, held accountable right then and there. Uh, today is really about being more vulnerable um, and being open to being questioned and, and challenged, um, particularly as they, you know, as leaders um, plan to address sort of these real life challenges or what's going on underneath the hood or, mm -hmm. you know, what's happening for them. Do you have principles or do you have an approach to the level of transparency that you want to provide? I, I'd like to think of it as thoughtful transparency. You know, the problem with the internet is people are mean to each other. I mean, like really mean. Okay. There's such mean, yeah. you know, the whole comments section, <laughs> I think <laughs> we need to rethink is really adding value or just causing injury. I think people use anonymity and the fact that they don't need to be accountable for what they are saying uh, under the guise of transparency, mm -hmm. right? You know, if you have to literally say something to a person face to their face, you would be more thoughtful as a human being. So I, you know, I think of it as a leader's responsibility. Actually, all of our responsibility, especially when there is such a thing as internet in all our lives, it's it's such an intricate part of everyone's lives mm -hmm. now. Is thoughtful transparency. You know, I think you always have to ask yourself, would you like to be given this information? How would you like to receive this information that's being given to you? Um, and as a leader, you know, I do my best to tell. You know, I do all hands meetings. I do birthday chats every month. Find whatever it is to talk to people, actually talk to people. I have an email in the company called Ask Padma Anything. It's not anonymous, so people have to put their name. I don't think I'm a big fan of, of people asking questions anonymously. Sometimes it gives people more courage to ask, but I also feel if you create the right environment, people shouldn't be afraid to ask you anything. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to create that culture. Mm -hmm. you know. So I would say thoughtful transparency. Be thoughtful about what you're saying, how you're saying it, who's, who's on the receiving end mm -hmm. of this. Um, I share information that I feel people can benefit from. When there is something I cannot share, I tell people I can't share that with you. Typically, people get suspicious when you say that. And I think that's human nature is just getting people comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. I think over time, the more people realize that you're not trying to keep any secrets from them or trying to manipulate them with information. Information is power, right? And so then I think more the more they'll start trusting you. Mm -hmm. The big challenge, I would say, is how do you 
push that transparency down in the organization. The image of the leader is more approachable, empathetic, caring, thoughtful. Um, it doesn't mean you're not decisive, by mm -hmm. the way. I think this is something women are always judged as, right? You know, women are seen as having soft skills. I hate that word in I some know. ways. Mm -hmm. uh, but that doesn't mean we're not decisive. We can't get things done. We can't drive. I'm very driven. I'm very decisive. I'm very opinionated. Uh, but I'm also approachable. I think it is, this is the new image of the leader that is emerging in the industry and I'm very pleased about that. But how do you make sure your managers and the managers below them are all communicating that way with the organization? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you create this huge void um, and then people start to circumvent their managers to come directly to you. Mm -hmm. So consistency and being thoughtful and, and making sure the messages going down all the way into the organization are things that one has to truly work on. Yeah, for sure. And, and leaders get a hard time. You know, mm. There's no denying that being a leader is full of making mistakes. Mm -hmm. It's taking risks. Mm -hmm. It's being faced with failure. Mm -hmm. um, and I read this wonderful uh, quote, I guess you could say, on LinkedIn probably a year or two ago. It said, you're not, you're not a true leader unless you've built a leader who's built other leaders. Right. And, I, and I love that concept yeah. because it really is about giving more of yourself allowing others to grow and develop underneath you. And I'd love to hear from you around, you know, what are some of the mistakes that you feel you've made as a leader, which I think are all necessary part of, part of the course, but also how do you approach growing other leaders mm -hmm. as well? So I think the biggest mistake I've made as a leader is I think when I first became a manager, maybe a younger in my career, I used to think my job as a leader was to provide all the answers. Um, and that actually is exactly the wrong thing you can do because you you shut people down when you're doing that. And I think the biggest thing you need to do as a leader is to ask the right questions. Allow allow your people to bring bring to you the answers. Uh, if everything is defined, then you, know, you don't need to exist as a startup because somebody else has already done that. There's already a hiking path up to the top of the mountain and you're just taking that path. Uh, but when you're building a company, you're actually creating that path as you go along. And you don't know, sometimes you may, I'm sorry, I'm a hiker, so I'm going to use yeah. my hiking analogies. You may, you may come to a boulder that you can't clamber over. So you have to find a different path. It's not just a path that you as a hiker can do, but everybody with you can do that hike. Mm -hmm. um, I think this is another mistake I made uh, earlier on as a leader. I was very impatient. Actually, one of my bosses already uh, told me this. As a leader, you have to look back once in a while and make sure people are behind you. Yeah. It's, it's not enough you just reach the top of the mountain. People with you have to make it to the top of the mountain as well. And that's that's your definition of how do you build other leaders mm -hmm. uh, that they can lead. Um, not everybody's going to lead the way you do, right? You know, I lead a certain way. You know, different people on my team mm. lead differently. Uh, it's style, it's personality, it's behaviors. What should be consistent is the values. For sure. And you mentioned that being a leader is tough. It is a hard job and... It can be both very demanding but also emotionally draining um, and emotional agility is something that I think all leaders um, should possess but maybe not all have or they don't know how to build emotional agility within themselves. How do you do that and do you have any special like Padma, <laughs> I don't know, rituals that help you achieve that? Yeah, I, I do actually. I, I meditate every day. Mm. Uh, I meditate for almost 20 minutes and I do it at the end of my day before mm. I go to bed. 
um, I taught myself how to do it. And so I don't know if there's a right way or wrong way to do it, but I, it just allows me to be calm uh, before I go to bed mm-hmm. um, and kind of de-stress. Second mm-hmm. thing I do is if there is someone that I feel is in a conflict situation, I make it a point to to tackle it when I'm calm. So I sleep over it. You know, I say, okay, if somebody is upset me or something is upset me, I, ne- I try not to react at the moment. I try to say, let's talk about That's it tomorrow. Or let's talk mm-hmm. about it face to face. I also now do something that I call digital detox. Um, this I actually, when I was at Cisco, I was leading our enterprise business and uh, I was going through a period right after the financial crisis when the business was tough for everyone, where I was working all the time. I found that not only was I burning out, I was actually at risk of burning out my whole organization because I would just sit and shoot off emails to my team and ask a question about a particular product, yeah. you know, at, at, at 10 p.m., 11 p.m. in the night. And then that would trickle down oh. three, four levels down and people work really hard to get me the answer. And maybe I didn't need the answer immediately. So I decided to do something called digital detox that Saturdays was what I was calling declaring as a digital detox and I wouldn't, I would literally unplug or do something um, with the analog world as it were, not not the digital world. And I could almost, when I said that in the all hands meeting, I could almost hear a physical sigh of relief <laughs> from 26,000 people worldwide. Uh, it, Everyone at Cisco right now is thanking you for that. <laughs> I bet. One last question before we finish, and, and this may play a part of your emotional agility or your digital detox. You mentioned that you you like to play loud music mm. in your vehicle mm. by yourself. Do you have a go-to playlist, a Spotify playlist, something <laughs> that kind of energizes you or even, you know... Yeah, my playlists change a lot. It depends. I think if I'm going to go work out, I listen mm-hmm. to very, very high... Um, I'd say high bass music that mm-hmm. kind of puts me in the mood to go to the gym yeah. and work out. Um, I listen to more world music, some Bollywood tracks, some rap, some hip hop, you know, the combination. I have music that I listen to when I'm doing long distance driving. Mm-hmm. You know, I often go to Tahoe from the Bay Area. Um, there I, I save, actually I save a lot of podcasts. I listen to short stories, fiction, things like that, you know, where I'm actually paying attention to what I'm listening. Because music tends to be sometimes just in the background, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when I'm doing Mm -hmm. long distance driving, uh, podcasts and stories are things that where I'm actually paying more attention Mm to. But I think it really depends on the mood. I think this is the thing about music uh, or audio, I should say, more broadly, not just music. Exactly. While this episode was recorded when she was still CEO at Neo, we're excited to see what's next for Padma as an inspiring, motivating and exciting leader. This has been Spot On. With me, your host, Issa Notemans, Global Head of Diversity and Inclusion at Spotify. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next week for more inspirational conversation from leaders across the globe.